0: Ask them. How many of you got wills? You know, my wife has been bugging me about get a will, get a will. I said, honey, it's pretty plain. If I die, you get what I got, and if you die, I get what you get. She said, what about the kids? I said, what about them? <laughs> so I be- called some lawyers, and they wanted. Some of them a hundred dollars. One guy wanted five hundred dollars for a fifteen-minute, and he wasn't going to write it. He gonna, he's going to he's going to get some information. So I, I went on YouTube and I Googled, and I looked at all the wills and I looked at the language, and so I wrote one. She's not happy with it, but I think it's a good one. So I'm going to I wrote my will, and here it is. It said, "I, being of sound mind, have spent all the money." Right? If I take care of that, there won't be no fighting, all right? Hey, we're in the book of Mark, just starting, and uh, we're, we're going to look at the disciples today. You know, uh, they there's a lot of, when you study the disciples, they are a unique group of people. But if you pay attention when you read, you'll find out that there were a lot of designations of disciples. In other words, at one time, Jesus sent out 70 disciples in pairs. And so other readings would say that when the d- disciples had followed him and gathered, the 12 were a special group that that God uh, from the very beginning had, had this plan of how to take the finished work of Christ on the cross and, and take that gospel to the entire world. And he wound up using these 12 men. Uh, in Mark chapter 1, verse 16 through 20, we uh, read these words. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, He saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once, they left their nets and they followed him. Let me me give you a little hint. If you read the last chapter in the book of John, you find out Peter didn't sell the boat. Okay? Just go read that. All right. Here we go. When he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. This is Mark's uh, writings of the 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 ones that you will hear the most about. There were different tiers of disciples. There were the Peter, James, and John are always mentioned as that inner circle with Jesus, the the leaders and all. Andrew, his brother, there's uh, and I believe it's in Luke, it said that Andrew went and after he uh, after John identified Jesus as Messiah went and got his brother. There's a lot of readings In John chapter 1, verse 35 to 42, we hear this story. The next day, John was there again with his disciples. Now, that was John the Baptist. Remember John the Baptist had disciples. He was preaching a baptism of repentance. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him say this. They followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying. And they spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Simon Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas which is translated is Peter. Second, that's John's rendering. Now, there are those that tell us that possibly James was that other disciple that was with Andrew, but we really don't know who the other one was. But a great example of the enthusiasm of discovering Jesus can you remember when you discovered Jesus? Uh, you know, it really wasn't a ho-hum situation. It was life-changing. It was, it shook you up uh, just to know that the Savior, the one that spoke the world into existence, loved you enough to die on the cross and then offer you the greatest gift in the world, eternal life an abundant life now. Andrew wanted Peter, his brother, to know this Messiah. The one tragedy in the life of a Christian is too many times that first that first instance of finding Jesus Christ. The eyes being opened. I mean, it's like a blind man being able to see clearly. Someone who was deaf who could not hear. A leper who was who was filthy and was, with sin, and not only sin, but with disease, to be cleansed. That first, why, I'm wondering, does it dim? And I think the answer is it's not renewed. Listen, I know you guys have all got the stories that you love to tell, right? I mean, you get together and you start telling stories. And stories are like soup that's continually warmed up. It gets better and better and better. Not too long ago, I went to my high school reunion and we remembered stories of when we played football. Those stories were a whole lot better than actually what, what really went on. But, you know, after 55 years, who cares? I mean, some folks that was in them stores is dead, so they can't tell on us. But we tell that story. Listen, guys, it's the same thing with the story of what happened to you. See, that's our witness. Let me tell you about a man that changed my life life. And you see, that takes all of the argument out of the equation. Because nobody can tell you something didn't happen to you. Do you you realize that? Now they can argue and say, I don't believe the Bible. They can they can say I don't believe this, that or the other, but they cannot, they cannot disavow what you testified as what happened to you. So don't ever forget that. You want that You want that robust, adventurous feeling? You want to be renewed? Then begin to tell the story of the day the man from Galilee came into your life and what he did. That's extra. I won't charge you all for that today. Let's look at Luke chapter 6. I'll give you one more call. Okay? One of these days, Jesus went out to a mountainside and prayed. Now, when you read the Gospels, that is significant. Jesus is continually going away. Sometimes it'll say he went away to a lonely place. He went away to a desolate place. I always wanted to have a rock because there used to be a picture uh, that was the going thing of Jesus kneeling and praying uh, on a rock. And I always wanted a rock from uh, the uh, from the uh, Mount of the Olives, and when I went to, to Israel, that's what I got and came back. I got a rock, and that's my prayer rock, and it's on the desk, and and that's my sometimes desolate place, but it's my place pray. Jesus was continually and particularly you will read that he went away and prayed the night before significant things happened in his life. So he's praying and he spent the night praying to God. When morning came he called his disciple to him and chose twelve. Now I don't know if Some say the only disciples that were there were 12. I don't think so. I think there was those disciples. We don't know how many. But it was the people that were following Jesus. And from there, he chose 12 of them, all right, whom he also designated as apostles which means sent one, it's an ambassador, it's a messenger, it's kind of like a power of of attorney. Jesus is sending them out with the power. You remember when he said... All power has been given to me and heaven and earth and I and do you with power. He told the, the disciples, wait in Jerusalem till you have received the power. This is that power of, eternity, uh, of attorney in order for them to represent Jesus Christ. We have that same power of attorney. We are those who are sent. He designated apostles. Let's go on. Simon, who he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, and Bartholomew. Philip and Bartholomew will always be mentioned together. Matthew, called Levi. Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus. Simon, who was called the Zealot. Judas, the son of James. And Judas a Carrot, who became a traitor. Those were his men. Have you ever wondered what kind of guys these were? That God called? That God put the gospel, God put the promise of the entire world here in the gospel in? These guys were not knights in shining armor. These guys were, and I know you've heard this before, ordinary people. We forget that we forget that every character in the Bible was an ordinary person that in the presence and power of God did extraordinary things. That's the issue. They themselves had flesh and blood. They themselves, uh, they had the same issues we had. Let me tell you about them. Well, they had fishermen. You know that. That fisherman, that a tax collector, this tax collector, imagine Jesus choosing a tax collector, one of the most hated men in Israel, to be his representative. But he did. And you'll read when Jesus called Matthew, Matthew thought through a party, invited all of his other tax friend, uh, tax collector friends with him, and they heard Jesus. That's when the Pharisees, they got out, Mad and said, you know, this guy hangs around with sinners and tax collectors. When you read in the New Testament, they will always say sinners and tax collectors because tax collectors were a little lower. Yet, Jesus had him one. Not only that, they were zealots. One of them, was called a zealot, but there were several of them. These are fanatical Jewish nationalists and they have a heroic disregard for suffering. They, they don't care what the cost is. They struggled and fought for the purity of their faith in fact in Israel down near the uh, Dead Sea area there's a huge mountain you can only get there by cable car and right at the top it it was a fortress where actually these zealots were run out of Jerusalem and they made their last stand on top of that mountain and they were preserving scripture and while they were uh, under attack they were copying Scripture to make sure that it was correct. These were zealots. They had nationalists. Nationalists simply dreamed of the Jewish people being a world power and that the world would be dominated by the Jewish people. That was their intent. Uh, there were pessimists. There were men with tempers, intolerant, ambitious, And there was a betrayer. These were a mixed crowd of people that Jesus brought together and under his three and a half year tutelage, he turned the gospel over to them. He entrusted them. And when you read the book of Acts, these apostles will be mentioned over 33 times because they literally turn the world upside down. What's the difference? They were available and they were willing to commit. Did they fail in their commitment? Yeah, well, the most notable is Peter. On the night that Jesus was betrayed and would go to trial, he actually denied knowing Christ three times. Again, these were not shining people, but they were people that Christ invested in and he changed them before they changed the world. Would you agree that the world needs changing today? I mean, we talk about it every time we get together. People are talking about it. I mean, you can't help but read the news but laugh. There you can't let your dog hang out the window because he pollutes the air and causes the air to get hotter. And we have global warning. <laughs> you can't have a gas stove no more. I mean, I don't really, I've, you know, I've not been unable to sleep sometime. And in staying up all night, I've come up with some weird ideas. I think it's sleep deprivation. But these folks, I mean they 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 really are out there. They're, they remind me of the Twilight Zone. Do you all remember that program? That little music? Da 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 The world needs changing. Well who's gonna do it? These twelve men are dead. They they've done all that they're ever gonna do for the kingdom. And you see when jesus prayed for them in the 17th chapter of john he made this statement he said i'm not only praying for these but i'm praying for those who will hear the word through them and that's you and i i wondered how to do this message i mean i've heard messages and and they go through an in-depth thing about the disciples and all. But the thing that really struck me about the disciples is this. I think they they constantly read Philippians 4.13. y'all know what that says? I'll put it up here for you. I can do all things through him, Jesus, who gives me strength. Is that true? Now, I want you think about it. I hear that all the time. Can you do anything? You know, I, I've heard it said that uh, you can do anything you put your mind to. Well, we all know that's not true. If you lift weights, you can put one more pound on some weights and you will not be able to lift that weight. I think what this verse simply means is in Christ, we may not be able to do everything we want to do, but we can do everything Christ wants us to do. And the problem in life is our can't line. Have you ever realized everybody has a can't line line? That's where you draw a line, and you say, when you get there, it's like, I can't. I go to cardio three days a week, usually Monday morning. But the first thing I get on and start, that thing, can't line, comes in my mind. There's just something about Monday morning, trying to get whipped back up in shape that wipes you out. But you've got to push the cant line. And, and the issue is this. Actually, your cant line is a lot lower than where you and I stop. Our cant line's down here, but we stop. Show that picture up here a minute. You know who this guy is? Now, I'm gonna get him good with Joe. I'm kind of a baseball player. It's not St. Louis, but this is a guy named Jim Abbott. Now, what is so unique about Jim Abbott? Jim Abbott was born with no right hand. Stop right at the wrist. But yet, his parents would not allow him to have a camp line, and so he began. His daddy had him play Little League ball, and he got good. He's an All-American in college. He was drafted by the New York Yankees. He played for several teams. You see that knob? Show me the next picture. That's how he played. He could throw right-handed or left-handed. It was amazing. But he'd hold that glove right here and hit pitch. He pitched a no-hitter. You know why? Because in his mind, he didn't have a camp line. He made it appear, if there was going to be one, he would make it appear. He, nor his parents, was going to draw one. And so many times in life, When God begins to deal with us, showing some things that we need to do, things that we need to do for him, things that God will equip us to do, we already decide how far we're going to go. But the issue that we should remember is this. How far was Jesus willing to go for you and go for me? He went to the cross. Oh, He could have come. You know this. He could have come down to earth in blazing glory and set up His throne, put His enemies under His foot. It would have been over. But He didn't. He knew man. And so He came to do something that had to be done if mankind had any hope. And He paid the tremendous sin debt of mankind On the cross. Jesus did not have a cant line. And you're saying, yeah, but that was Jesus. Well, what about a guy named Moses? We look at him like he's, you know, super guy. He's Moses, Abraham. These are guys that are cut above us. Not really. In uh, Exodus 4, 2. The Lord said to him, what's in your hand? Moses said, a staff. Hold it right there. When you read Moses, or excuse me, Exodus chapter three and chapter four, here's what's going on. There is an argument between Moses and God. You know, 40 years earlier, Moses decided he was going to free the Israelites and he killed an Egyptian, uh, worker. Well, that didn't free him, and so he fled for 40 years. God is now saying, you're going to deliver them. And he began to make excuses over and over and over again. Jesus finally got to the point God did and said, what is in your hand? Moses said, a staff. God said, throw it down. He threw it down. It turned into a snake. And the scriptures record, Moses ran. Now to me, that just shows he had good sense. Because if I throw a stick down and it turns into a snake, I'm running. But God said, no, Moses, just pick him up by the tail. Moses did. And it became a staff again. That was what Moses would use when Moses went before Pharaoh. The last thing he said, he pushed God so far. God told him two things to tell Pharaoh. And Moses' answer was, I'm not eloquent. I can't speak. And it says God's anger was kindled at Moses. And finally, he just said, probably out of exasperation, your brother Aaron will be the mouthpiece. However hesitant that Moses began, as you read the 10 plagues and the things that happened and even the exodus, you find out that Moses began to be equipped with power. Why? Because he used what was in his hand. Let me tell you about my all-time favorite Old Testament guy. Two verses in the Bible about him. First one is in Judges chapter 5. It says, In the days of Shamgar, son of Ameth, in the days of Jael, the highways were abandoned. Travelers took winding paths. Here's what it meant. In these days, the Philistine blocked all the roads. If you travel the road and you had produce, they stole it. If you put... Ran your sheep on the road, they stole the sheep. If you went on the road, they would kill you. They controlled it. So these bypasses, that literally means they had to go through the woods. Israel was trapped. Next verse for, I think this was in chapter 3. After Enud, this was one of the judges, came Shamgar, son of Anatoth who struck down 600 Philistines with an ox goat. He too saved Israel. Now, y'all are looking like, does I got to do with anything? Both instances. You know, Shamgard kept oxen and you drive oxen with an ox goat to keep them going. What he had in his hand was an ox goat, and that's what he used. Here's the issue. Too many times when God is leading us to do something, to be involved, to go somewhere, to, to be praying, to whatever God is leading, the first thing we do is begin to tell God what we don't have. Now I have a question for you. Do you think God doesn't know what you have? No. You see, that's talking around in circles like children. Where actually, when God says here, we say I can't have, I don't have this, which has nothing to do with what God has asked us to do. Nothing. But yet, we continually quote Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We have all agreed something's got to happen in this world. Revival is going to have to come. People are going to have to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ because the days are short. And when Christ comes back, that's it. It's over. So we are the power of attorneys. And God has, God so much wants to see how he can take you and I with what we've got and multiply it to do kingdom work. You know, the Lord's prayer says, Our Father, who art in heaven, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done. We are praying for the kingdom of God to come. That's God setting up this new heavens and new earth. When we pray that God's kingdom would come, we need to understand God has placed that on us. Through the testimony of the life-saving power of Jesus Christ. And the only thing God wants us to do is use what he has given us. And the amazing thing is, if we need anything else, he'll supply it. Being involved is kind of like faith. You remember when you first had faith? Faith. It was like, I have faith. It's like the guy that said, in, that it's recorded in Scripture. Jesus said to him, Do you believe? And he said, I believe. Help my unbelief. He's being honest. He said, I want to believe real but I want you to help my unbelief. It grows when it's used. And I'll tell you what we have an army of well equipped people sitting here. In this room. There's not not anything that cannot be conquered. Through the wisdom. The power. The lifestyle. The life experiences. And Philippians 14. That we cannot accomplish. For our Savior. Jesus Christ. So. What's in your hand? What has God given you? Don't talk about, well, it's not as good as so-and-so or that's not the issue. God deals individually. And when you turn everything that you have over to God and ask him to simply live out his life in you, some amazing thing happens. Your life changes for sure. But you begin to impact. Impact people around you. Circumstances around you. God begins to use you. And you see, yeah, we're ordinary people. We're ordinary people. Let me tell you something. Have you ever thought how I feel crawling up? On this stage, in this chair, in this table. And Pastor Joe has preached on the weekend, and Pastor Cord on Wednesday night. You ever thought about that? Oh, I think about it all the time. I love to hear those guys preach. But you know what? God's called me, and He's given me a message, and I don't have to be Pastor Joe or Pastor Cord. Only person I gotta be is me. The only person I want you to be is you. I wanna see people come to Christ. I want to see folks who think they have retired back in the ball game. Because it wasn't but about fifteen twenty years ago. You remember when they started laying off old people? You know, they'd fire somebody that had a lot of years so they could hire somebody who didn't know what this person knew, but they paid him less. All of a sudden, businesses begin to tank. And they begin to call back all those people that they had let go. Jesus is calling a retired army back into active service. Because we serve until the Lord Jesus Christ takes us home or he appears in the sky. And I want to encourage you. If you want to put pep in your step, vitality in your life. If you want to remove the worry of what's going on the next day. If you want to just get out of the the issues of hiding and being afraid. Get back in the service of the king. Every day, where you are, how God leads you. And I'll tell you, it will revitalize you. And it will be an encouragement for people around you. And after all, isn't that what we're supposed to do also? To encourage one another. Nothing encourages me more. Than to seeing you guys. And your faithfulness. We get back in the game. You're extraordinary. Just like me. But God's got some extraordinary things. That he wants to do. In this generation in which we live. And revival can come. Fathers we come to you. Thank you. Thank you Lord that you would use. Us, sometimes broken people, sometimes people who have failed, but Lord, the thing that makes Philippians four thirteen true is when we step up and put you to the test. When we become available. When we say to you, Lord, yes, Lord, lead me, guide me. Lord, today we. We need to see people come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. There are people who have come to faith and they have not been baptized and they need to, Lord, follow Christ in obedience. Lord, we need to see a turnaround. We need to see, Lord, revival. And we pray, God, that you would do exceedingly, abundantly beyond what we can do what we can think, and what we can see. And I ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.